Hello, and welcome to a bonus edition of the Powerhouse Politics Podcast. I'm Jonathan Carl, Chief White House Correspondent for ABC News. This week, I ventured out to Wichita, Kansas, to have a wide-ranging conversation with one of the richest people in America and most controversial figures in American politics, Charles Koch, the CEO of Koch Industries, the largest privately held company in America. Koch had some surprising things to say about the state of American politics, explained why he isn't spending a dime, at least not yet, on any of the presidential candidates, either for or against. Here's an extended excerpt of my conversation with Charles Koch. So many people in the country now look at the, the American economy and they say it is rigged. It is rigged to the extent that the rich get richer and that, you know, working class person has a hard time getting by wages are stagnant, they say it is rigged. It's rigged by those at the top. It is, and, and that's, that's uh, in, in the policy area, that's, that, that's our number one policy objective to, to change that. What, what I call it is... So you, you, you agree that the system abs- is rigged? Absolutely. Is rigged in favor of, of, in, of the wealthy. In, in favor of companies like, like ours. Like they, uh, it's been pointed out that why, why am I complaining about the current administration or, or the last decade in that we've tripled our size in that period? Well, yeah, it's because it is rigged because we have this corporate welfare that benefits established companies and makes it very difficult for somebody to, to get started it, because this two-tiered society creates welfare for the wealthy and and creates obstacles to opportunities for the disadvantaged. And those are uh, come from, uh, the second come from a whole array of, of policies. One is the criminal justice system. Uh, another is the educational system. And, uh, and another are, are uh, various things that bring about a closed uh, economy. Uh, such, such as occupational licensure that make it very difficult for people who have nothing to get started. And so we work on trying to change those policies and also to supplement, like uh, the education system. We have a program my wife runs called Youth Entrepreneurs, and then we work with various community leaders to, to help change this in communities. And... Uh, uh, and for example, we provided the, the or I did provided the, the seed capital for the Institute for Justice that fights against this occupational licensure. There are a thousand different low-income occupations that, depending on the locale or the state, have some requirements, some tests they have to pass, or educational requirements before they can they can go to work in that, and that can be yoga instructors, bartender, uh, interior decorator. So it's not, oh, oh, they need to have all this to be safe. Well, these manicurists, I mean, come on. Right. I mean, it's cronyism. It's corporate welfare because those in those businesses locally don't want all these new people coming in and, and taking their customers. But are you concerned when you, when you look at a situation where we have seen the gap between the rich and the poor widen? Is that, is that a problem as a principle? Well, that in itself I mean, I'm isn't, asking one of the richest people in the world. Right, here, so. but no, but, but it is if the, the, 
My, my, my fundamental proposition is that we want a society, to have a free society, it needs to be based on you succeed by helping others improve their, their lives. Mm -hmm. And if you're succeeding by not doing that, by making their lives worse, this is what my book Good Profit is about, by making their lives worse or rigging the system and not helping others improve their lives, then it's unjust. But aren't we seeing a lot of that? I mean, we That's see offshore bank accounts, absolutely. tax shelters. Uh, we, 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 we see large companies that game the system. Right. We've, yeah, the estimates I've seen out of a $15 trillion economy, probably this corporate welfare and cronyism is, is costing the economy about $5 trillion. The tax code alone has $1.5 trillion of special benefits and, and, and deals in it. And many going for the wealthy. But the great majority go for the wealthy because the, the, the poor aren't pay, paying a lot in taxes, exactly. so it benefits the, the wealthy. And so I think the whole tax code needs to be thrown out and all these exemptions eliminated and everybody be taxed on the same basis, not favored by a given industry or, or how well connected you are or all the other reasons these exemptions come into being. And so, so we're, we're opposed to all of them. And believe me, we benefit tremendously from them. But, but it's not sustainable. If we want to have a free society, we have to have a society where people succeed by helping others. We need to move toward this system of mutual benefit. Instead, we're moving more and more toward this two-tiered society, a society that's based on control, dependency, cronyism, poverty, in which uh, individuals and groups are pitted against each other. Did you, you, I don't know if you saw this, but George Clooney took a shot at you the other day. Well, that's, I, I'm an easy target sitting out <laughs> here, so I get shots all the time. Um, he said that um, the difference between when they raise a lot of money for pol in politics for Democrats is that they're doing it, uh, there's no profit for us. And his suggestion was the Koch brothers would profit if they get their way and that's what you know. There's no profit for us, right? No, if so we he's saying you're in this for yourself, that's why you've gotten involved. That's in why politics. we're opposing all these boondoggles that help us. So we'll profit more by getting rid of all the the special benefits we get, like these. This is well, this I, includes. I guess you would say if, if, if taxes were lower, if there were fewer regulations, you'd be able to. You'd, you'd be even more profitable. No, no, we'd be less. These regulations set up. Uh, a, a more static economy. So those who are in business uh, are, are protected because we have less competition. These, these regulations that bring about this two-tiered society uh, are, create a, a more stagnant economy. They reduce competition and reduce innovation. And my goal is to get toward permissionless innovation. So everybody starting out has the opportunity to be, be as successful as people who are established. And those, so we have more what Schumpeter called creative destruction. And that just because you're in business doesn't mean you're protected by the government. You're only protected by creating more value for others. So uh, I don't know whether it would be more or less. It would depend on were we improving faster than others including new entrants, and if we weren't, 
we would go out of business rather than have so many of our businesses be stagnant so we can drift along, not that we try to do that, drift along for years and be successful. So uh, we, we would only be more profitable if we were even more innovative than others. So let me ask on, on, the, on the larger question, money and politics. Is there too much money in politics? Well, there's there's too much politics. Well, there's too much money. You see, for, like, you know, for sure. Yeah, we we would like to get the money out, but the only way to get the money out is get all the goodies that the government's giving uh, to special interests out, and that's what we're trying to do. And then we, I mean, we now have two-year presidential campaigns, which is all everybody talks about. It's because we have this system of control and dependency, so everybody is dependent, including big companies, on the government to set the rules to give them an advantage, and people throughout society are. So, uh, so people invest in that to get an advantage, and we're, we're investing in it to get rid of all these advantages and have a system of mutual benefit. How much money would you estimate that you and your brother have spent on direct on American politics? Mm. Well, I can tell you what what it was last year. We not we, but including what, what we raised. We raised uh, last year th uh, three hundred million, and about thirty million of that was directly or indirectly spent on politics, such as uh, doing. Uh, data analysis and that all everything that goes into that the other 270 was spent on on uh, education on helping these uh, community organizations those kind of things and and on policies uh, this year I think we'll uh, we'll probably raise about 450 million and because of the state of of politics, I would guess the amount that would go into uh, politics would be less than than 200. So over the last, let let's say, so over the this two-year cycle, we would be about 200. We were estimating at at first our people were estimating 300. I said no, I don't think it'll be that high, because that was based. This 900 million figure was based on the wish list of all the organizations we support. And there was a lot of waste in there, things that we didn't, or I didn't think would be productive and our, our other leaders didn't. Uh, so I scaled that back to, to 250. Now I think it'll be less than 200 total over the two-year cycle. Just so when you look back over the years, over the last several cycles, hundreds of millions of dollars in, in electoral politics, what, what have you gotten for that? What's been the return on that investment? Well, I've gotten a lot of abuse out of it. Yes. You've been called un-American. Yeah. On the Senate floor. Yeah. Well, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm out there. Uh, what have we gotten for it? Well, I, I think there there've been, there've been some good things, uh, particularly at the state and local level. We've been, uh, uh, or we've helped uh, get rid of some of the occupational licensing. There's been some criminal justice reforms. There have been a number of things, particularly at the state level. At the federal level, it's, uh, 
uh, we're still, we, we haven't in any way changed the trajectory of the, of the country toward this, this two-tiered society. So uh, I, I so like- this hasn't been a particularly good investment, at least not yet. No, no, it has. It's been, it's been disappointing uh, because it's, it's hard to find somebody in politics with the courage to go against uh, what's popular and do what they believe will help people improve their lives. I mean, you, you put a lot into the 2010 campaign and Republicans took over, the whole Tea Party revolution, and then you got a government shutdown. Yeah. That wasn't what you wanted. That wasn't what no, you wanted, right? No. What we, the, the whole only reason we're in politics, and we, we didn't get into politics and, until about 2003. That's why we, when we started developing the, <clears throat> Direct electoral. The, yeah, yeah, direct electoral. I mean, we started, as I say, we started, I started in education in the, in the 60s, mm -hmm. and then we, then I got into policy development. Like, what, okay, we're, we're better understanding these principles of a free society, principles mm -hmm. on how people can best live and work together. And so then, the idea was, well, we need to flesh out the policy implications of this. And so I, I converted my foundation to the Cato Institute in the 70s and helped a bunch of other organizations work on developing policy implications. And then in the 80s, we, we had enough people that, that wanted to implement these policies that we started setting up grassroots organizations to push for these. And then by uh, uh, by 2003, Republicans had control and they weren't doing any of this. So we said, okay, we, we got to go find politicians who will push for these policies that will bring us closer to the system of mutual benefit. And, uh, and then we need those who, who do believe in it, we, we need to give them the backbone and support so they have the right. courage to follow through rather than once they get in office to, to give it up, which is typically what happens. And so, uh, so that's how we got into, into politics. And, and I, I feel with uh, politics like Sisyphus, who, who you remember was condemned for eternity to push this boulder up the mountain, and then when he got it there, it would roll back down. That's kind of politics. The other things we've done, the education and the policy work and the work at the state level, I feel good about. But the national politics is, has been uh, disappointing. And, and so we're, we're, we're going to be approaching it differently. Like we're going to be much more selective on, on who we support. We've got to believe they are really going to make a difference on some of these key policies that are going to help change the trajectory of this country away from this two-tiered system. Because if you look at the hundreds of millions of dollars that you and, and, and the money you helped raise uh, put into electoral, federal electoral politics uh, over the last uh, six years, you, you got government shutdowns, you got uh, a, a Republican Party uh, that is uh, seems to be the center of gravity is anti-immigration, um, critical of free trade. Um, you, you must look at that and say, was this a waste of money? Would you have been, you know, would you, would you go back? I mean, how, what, what do you make of all that? I mean, it's been, it's been, well, it's been a series of confrontations and shutdowns and, uh, and, and policies which are different from the ones 
that you've advocated. I mean, immigration right. is the most obvious example. Well, well, free trade. Free trade. Is, free yeah. trade, yeah. This, uh, no, it's... Uh, People say you control the Republican Party because of all that money. Well, if I control the Republican Party, we would not have a two-tiered system. We would not have welfare for the wealthy. We would not have a tax code that subsidizes the wealthy. We would get rid of all of that. So obviously, I don't control anything. As a matter of fact, on, ex on the extenders bill, we so wrote the tax a, breaks for the corporations. Yeah, uh, like there were. It's been it's been modified, but there were like fifty some tax breaks, including for, some that benefit co co benefit be benefit us. And uh, so we wrote a letter to all the congressmen in 2000, after 2014 when we helped elect some of them. And, and out of nearly 250 Republicans, almost only about 10% voted against it because they had people in their district, supporters, who were in favor of these boondoggles. Well, so, Republicans are adamant about protecting uh, uh, a lot of these tax breaks. Absolutely. No, and and I, I can see why they say, well, there's a tax break over here. We need one here. Well, that's the wrong attitude. We've got to get rid of all of them. We can't just do it piecemeal. It'll never work. And we can't, we say, we, they say, well, we've well, we got to reform entitlements. It's bankrupting the country. That's That's true. But the first entitlements we have to get rid of are entitlements for the wealthy. How can you take away from poor people, their entitlements when the wealthy have entitlements. And then how can you take away or, or reduce or modify, lessen the benefits for the poor when you're restricting their opportunities with this whole series of things I went through? So that's the first order of business. And that's why to have a free society, we've got to get rid of this stuff. That's why Venezuela elected a socialist is because they had this two-tiered system and people were fed up with it. So that's why Bernie Sanders is popular because what he said is, is you probably saw that, that the op-ed I wrote yep. about, I agree with Bernie Sanders on that. I don't agree with his solutions. We gotta get rid of this rather than have but, more government control, but, but he's at least identified the problem. I don't hear any of the Republican candidates talking about this two-tiered system and getting rid of it. So that's why we haven't supported any of them. We re I read, oh, we've given millions to this one, millions to that one, and millions to oppose Trump. We've done none of that. We haven't put a penny in any of these campaigns, pro or con. So are you gonna sit out this presidential election? Uh, it, it just depends on whether the Republican candidate, uh, whether not just what they run on, but whether we believe they will really push for policies if they get elected that will change the trajectory of this country away from this two-tiered system and do a much better job of that than the Democratic nominee. That's the only reason we would support it. And how does that look? <laughs> well, we'll see. I mean, when we get, when we get a nominee, then we'll, we'll explore that. And we don't want arm waving. Uh, we we want to know specifics. So was it a mistake to sit out this Republican primary? I mean, you now are looking at a at a situation where you have the candidates left, the two top candidates left, are 
you know, they don't want to build walls, they're anti-immigration, they are very critical of, uh, of, of free trade. Uh, you've had a campaign that's largely on the personal attacks. You say you want substance. I mean, shouldn't you have got, do you regret not getting involved early? No, no, we tried. We, uh, uh, most of the candidates came to us to get our support, and we said, okay. We didn't support any of them. Here, well, here, I'll tell you why. Yeah. We said, here are the issues, and it starts with getting rid of this two-tiered society. And where are you on these issues? And we expect, if you want our support, you've got to, you've got to get specific about changing the trajectory and getting us toward policies that will help people improve their lives and not run on ad hominem attacks. You've got to be like Ronald Reagan and compete on making the country better rather than tearing down your opponents. And right off the bat, they didn't do it. So we said, we can't, they came back, well, you haven't supported us. Well, guess what? You're not running on making the country better. You're running, making it worse. More of these personal attacks and pitting one person against the other. That's the message you're sending the country. That's the way you should, your role models and your terrible role models. So how, I don't know how we could support them. Did Trump try to reach out to you? No. Well, he may, yeah, I think he reached out to my brother. He knows, he knows my brother David pretty well. But uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure what it was about, but yeah. I, I think he's, he hears rumors that we're attacking him, or, and which we're not. We haven't put a penny in that. So, and those I, I, but I'm on, sure you've been asked to contribute to the Never Trump. We have. And, and, and why not get involved in that? I mean, here's a guy that... Because that's not what we do. We, what we're trying to do is, is build alliances to make the country better. Like we have one with the, the White House on criminal justice reform. We're working with several Democratic governors and others on getting rid of some of this corporate welfare uh, we, we hope to work with the White House on, on eliminate, or great re reducing these occupational licensure requirements and, uh, and so on. And that's the only way we're going to change this trajectory is not just doing it with Republicans or conservatives, but building these alliances across the board. And you, you're not going to do that by engaging in ad hominem attacks and questioning people's motives and stuff. You do it by trying to find areas where you can work with everybody. So I've read that Freedom Partners is going to skip the Republican convention in Cleveland. Is that true? I think that's right, yeah. So why? This is going to be the... Well, wh why? Why go? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we're not interested in politics. We're interested in, 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 in moving us toward a culture and policies that will enable people to improve their lives. Just that that's the way we run our business. That's what's made us successful. That's what'll make. That's what's made the country successful in the past to the extent it was applied, and we're losing. So, I mean, we don't want to be a part of of. Uh, so you don't see anything good coming out of that convention. Well, we're hopeful, but we can't. We've tried to change it. We've uh, we've met, as you know, we've met. You've interviewed a bunch of these the candidates and and you see where they're coming from. 
So we've tried to, to change that for the better, but, uh, but we haven't been successful. But you won't, you, do you really get involved in this effort to try to sway the, uh, the uncommitted delegates if we get down to a brokered convention? I mean, No, that's another rumor out there. The rumor is that, that I said that, oh, Ryan is going to be a shoe-in. Yeah. I never said any such thing. If I've said anything... Would you like to see Paul Ryan as the Republican nominee? Well, I th he's better on the issues than the others. I mean, he's, he, he supports criminal justice reform. He supports getting rid of the obstacles for opportunities for the disadvantaged. He mm -hmm. supports a good part of getting rid of this corporate welfare. So a lot of issues we agree on more, more than most of the candidates. But, but as he said, I mean, he can't come in now and, and be nominated when he didn't run. I mean, that, what, that, what signal is that going to send? You just don't think send? that's possible. This whole white knight theory you think is just yeah, no, no way. No, I don't. Well, I, I don't see how he could win if he did. I mean, that, that, would, that would create the, the impression this whole thing is rigged, which that's the opposite of the direction we want to go. So... Are you really prepared to sit out the presidential election, even if it means that Democrats have a better chance of taking over the Congress? Well, uh, once again, we're, we're not for somebody because they're Republican or against them because they're Democrat. What we want is a Congress and a White House that wants to move us toward a system of of mutual benefit and away from this system of, of uh, a two-tiered society. So that's what we're looking for, people who will support these policies. And if the Democrats would do a better job, we would support them. But we're not going to get in any campaign where we believe that we, we can't uh, make a difference, right? There's no point in it. So, that, so those are the two. Who Will one do a lot better job of moving us toward policies that will make people's lives better, and and would our getting involved make a difference? What what did, what did you think when you first heard Donald Trump's proposal to put a temporary ban on all Muslims coming into the United States? Well, obviously that's that's antithetical to our approach. But what what, what was worse was this: well, we'll have them all register. That's reminiscent of Nazi Germany. I mean, that's monstrous, as I said at the time. So, uh, obviously, we, we totally oppose that. So, And when you hear another top presidential candidate talking about making the sand glow and carpet bombing in the Middle East. Well, that, that's got to be hyperbole, but, I mean, that, that a candidate, whether they, they believe it or not, would think that appeals to the American people. This is frightening. Mm -hmm. So we've got to do a better job of educating people. Look, the, the, the way to keep Americans safe, the number one way isn't having policemen at every corner. It's by having people have a culture of helping each other rather than you're the enemy. So until we get in, I'm talking about domestically, to a system where, where people are actually dedicated to helping each other and realize that's the way they're going to benefit, is if we help each other, we'll both benefit, rather than let's try to kill each other 
or let me steal from you, or I disagree with you, therefore I'm going to kill you. As long as you have that, now that kind of society, no one's going to be safe. You could have a policeman on every corner and people wouldn't be safe. That's what we see in the Middle East, those, that kind of culture. I hear you talk about proposals by the leading candidates as being comparison to Nazi Germany, being frightening, being scary. I don't see how it's possible for you to support any of these remaining candidates. It's going to be tough. We, I mean, you have to believe at the end of the day that they do don't, we, that that? they don't really mean it because that's apparently what, well, because of, we're headed toward this two-tiered system and people believe it's unjust, they want somebody who's going to be different. We see that in both parties, right? Mm -hmm. There's, the status quo isn't working. We're, we're going, we're, we're headed down the road to serfdom by both parties. So people have realized that we got to change. So it's the way I look at it, I, I, I uh, or when I think about it, I'm reminded of, of Dickens' first lines from Tale of Two Cities. It was the best times, it was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness. We have this tremendous opportunity now with all the technologies available to become a better society than anybody ever dreamed possible. Instead, we're throwing it away by, by limiting these opportunities, limiting the application of these technologies to make people's lives better and pitting people against each other rather than working cooperatively to solve problems and capture opportunities. So we're, we're doing our best to, to change that and, uh, and we're going to make mistakes. I mean, in this field or in any field, we, we make plenty of mistakes in business, but we learn from them and we change. And that's what we're going to be doing in our entrance in the, in the whole social change field. What's, what's your biggest disappointment in all of this? I mean, you've had tremendous success, but regrets along the way? Well, yeah, but, but I mean, it's like regrets in business. You do a bad business venture, but that's part of learning. I mean, the future is unknown and unknowable, and all you can do is, is use your best knowledge and make your best efforts at the time and, and then learn from your mistakes and improve and change. And that's what, that's what I try to do. Thank you to Charles Koch for joining us. Thank you for listening to the Powerhouse Politics Podcast. Subscribe now to catch new episodes from me every Thursday, including part two of my interview with Charles Koch later this week. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. Thank you for listening.